John Wesley Work Jr. was born in Nashville, Tennessee in 1871, just six years after the end of the Civil War. His father was the director of a church choir of which some members were part of the Fisk Jubilee Singers, a group of singers who traveled to raise money for Fisk University, which is a historically black college in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, John Jr., like his father, father, also loved music, and while attending Fisk University, he would often organize singing uh, groups and get together for events. He later graduated Fisk in 1895, where he had studied Latin and history and uh, moved on to take his studies to Harvard University. Mr. Work Jr. would later return to Fisk University to teach, and it was during this season of his life he began to collect slave songs and spirituals. He then published those songs, and one of them will be very familiar to you. Let's see if you recognize its poetic words. While shepherds kept their watching or silent flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens there shone a holy light. The shepherds feared and trembled when low above the earth rang out the angel chorus that hailed the Savior's birth. Down in a lowly manger, the humble Christ was born, and God sent us salvation that blessed Christmas morn. Go, tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go, tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ was born. Now, why should everyone go and tell that Jesus Christ was born? Well, it is because Jesus, the greatest gift given to all mankind, was born to reconcile all humanity back to the Lord. And why do I say back to the Lord? Some might in here say, aren't we all sons of God? And in one sense, we are. Without understanding, though, God's intent for his original creation, we can never rightly understand why Jesus would come to reconcile or save it. To reconcile something, well, it means that something must have been lost. And what was that lost something? Well, you'll remember that God created the heavens and the earth, and remember that he separated the light from the darkness on day one, and it was good. And what uh, happened then on day two that God created the atmosphere and on the third he separated the land from the water and created every kind of vegetation and it was good. And on the fourth day God created the sun and the moon and on the fifth he created all life which was to live in the waters below and the birds flying above and the word of God says that it was good. Then on day six, God created all the creatures that creep and walk on the earth, and then he created the crown of all creation, and humanity was made. Listen here in God's image. You ever taken a selfie? Go ahead, admit it. You have, right? <laughs> and you looked at the picture, and you decided whether you were going to delete it right away or not, right? <laughs> it's embarrassing, right? We all have all done it. We are created in the image of God. Mankind, the only creation. Adam and Eve were given dominion there in the early chapters of Genesis. 
as a king and a queen over all creation. In verse 31, the last verse of chapter 1 says that God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. Perhaps the most overlooked reality in the Garden of Eden narrative is the intimate fellowship that God had with Adam and Eve. Eden was designed for Adam's pleasure and his needs, and Adam had face-to-face conversations with the Creator God. Nothing inhibited their relationship as they would walk in the garden in the cool of the day. So it is, friends, before mankind was deceived by Satan, humanity enjoyed uninhibited fellowship with our Creator for eternity. What seems almost impossible to attain to now, even as a Christian who has access to the throne room, we we have to fight through sin and thoughts and issues to, to spend time to have that intimacy with the Father. All of that did not exist in the garden. Mankind created in the image of God, walking with God in the garden, in the cool of the day, hearing his voice and his instruction. So it is, beloved, that mankind, before being deceived by Satan, humanity had uninhibited fellowship with our Creator for eternity a reality that none of us have ever experienced. And why? Sin infected humanity through Adam, and it disrupted that fellowship, did it not? And what began as very good in the garden turned out to be very, very bad. Genesis chapter 2 gives us more details about creation, especially concerning uh, humanity. It is there that we read that God planted a garden called Eden, and he placed Adam there to cultivate and to keep it. And Genesis 2.9 says, Out of the ground the Lord caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight for good uh, uh, to, uh, to the sight for, and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And verses 16 and 17 say that the Lord God commanded, here he, he's speaking to Adam. He commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. I don't know where you get your information and we live in a day and an age where information just seems to kind of flow freely and and so often we joke about, you know, when we find something that we tend to believe in, you know, we say, well, we found it on the internet, right? And you should always believe everything you find on the internet. Well, listen, the God of truth, the God who spoke the universe into the existence, when he says something, it is true. There's no need to Google it. There's no need to wonder about it. He told Adam, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, there is simply no stronger way to warn Adam not to do something than this. At this point in creation history, nothing yet has died. There is no such thing as death. Humanity was created to experience eternal, intimate fellowship with our Creator. All was very good. But we know the history, don't we? Satan tempted Eve with the exact opposite words of God. Have you ever caught that in your study? 
When he said in Genesis 3, 4 to Eve, you surely will not die. Eve was deceived and ate, and Adam disobeyed the word of God and he ate. He lost not only his eternal intimate fellowship with his creator, but also he spread his new fallen sinful DNA to each and every human being in this room. And all became very bad. One of the most, if not most difficult questions that Christians face is, why does an all-powerful and good God allow evil in this world? To know the answer to that question would be to know the mind of an infinite God who created everything and spoke everything into existence. It is not a knowable answer. Dear friends, one thing, though, that we can count on is this. God is not a liar, and he does not go back on his word. If he changed his mind, we could never trust anything he has ever said or done. Therefore, when he warned Adam not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, lest he die, God is today, thousands of years later, keeping his promise. In fact, every person in this room is going to die. God is keeping his promise. And as of the crown of all creation, the only creature made in the image of God, Adam, when he fell into sin, he lost the most, va- the most valuable thing imaginable, an eternal, infinite, and intimate relationship with his creator. And not only did Adam suffer the consequences of sin, but all creation suffered and died along with it. So dear friends, why does an all-powerful and good God allow evil in this world? We cannot know perfectly, but we can know that a good God keeps his promise. A good God keeps his promise. And we can be thankful for that, amen? Why? Just a few verses after Adam and Eve disobeyed and ushered in every fathomable kind of death, disease, and horrifying wickedness done by man, God made this promise to Satan in the presence of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15. He said this, And I, that's the Lord, will put enmity, that is hatred, right strife between you, that's Satan, and the woman, between your seed, Satan, and her seed, the woman, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel." The Lord effectively says that they ushered in death and disaster, but the Lord can, without breaking his promise of death, he can reconcile those made in his image. And he's going to do so, excuse me there, through a child born of a woman. The whole Old Testament fleshes out, does it not? How God glorifies uh, himself by keeping his promise. After the Noahic flood and the repopulation of the earth, God chose a man named Abraham and promised that the son would come from him. Abraham begot Isaac. Remember Isaac, uh, Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. From those 12 sons, God chose Judah to bring forth the promised son of Eve. And Judah's great-grandson was the second king of Israel, King David. And it was to King David that God made this unbreakable promise in 2 Samuel 7.16, saying, Your house, that is David's house, and your kingdom shall endure before me 
For how long? Forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Well, dear friends, the Old and the New Testament go into painstaking detail to follow the genealogy of the Son who was promised to reverse the curse of death. The New Testament genealogies tie Jesus to David. We read that just moments ago. And Jesus, the son of David, became the son of the woman who's, uh, who, who would bruise Satan's head. But let's remember the promise in Genesis that Satan would bruise Jesus' heel. And we know, don't we, dear friends, that the bruising of Jesus' heel took place on that cross. Jesus' most vibrant disciple, a fun, fun study to, to study in your New Testament, the, this man named Peter, so full of life, so quick to speak. He wrote this in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also died for sins once for all. Listen here, the just, that's Christ, for the unjust, that's us, all of us who are in Adam, right? So that he, that's Christ, might bring us to God. Did you catch that? What God began in the Garden of Eden, that is uh, this eternal, intimate fellowship with him, lost through Adam's sins, he fixed in bringing us back to God in Jesus. You see, dear friends, the Virgin Mary conceived not by a man, and why? Why? Because God's curse of death passed through the seed of Adam. It passes through the seed of man. Mary had conceived by the Holy Spirit to give birth, not to the son of Adam, who would be a sinner, the first breath he took, but rather to the son of God. All at once, Jesus, on this day that we celebrate tomorrow was truly man and truly God. The Apostle Paul wrote this about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5. He wrote this now, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he was committed and he has committed to us, that is the apostles, those, those, those who were preaching the word of Christ, the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. <laughs> Listen to the appeal We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Why? Because God made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Dear friends, there's no better time than right now in this Christmas season to be reconciled to God. The Bible says to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved from God's coming wrath on sinners and be reconciled back to your creator. You see, death is the proof that we have all sinned. And the fact that the grave could not hold Jesus 
shouts from the mountaintops that through Jesus, we can be reconciled back to God. We celebrate tomorrow what the gift of life, a life, the life of the God-child, right? The God-man. And why? Because once what was once started back in God's intention for humanity all the way, all those years ago, he is going to one day reconcile us, all who will put their faith in Christ, back to God, back to that spot where we walk with him intimately and eternally. Amen? Mr. John Wesley Work Jr. wrote down these words after generations of oral tradition and singing. Down in a lowly manger, the humble Christ was born, and God sent us salvation that blessed Christmas morn. Dear friends, be reconciled to God and go tell it on a mountain. Amen. Jesus Christ is born. Let's pray.